Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, December 10th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We get an update on the World Petroleum Congress in Texas the mayor just returned from and ask her her thoughts on whether COVID restrictions should be eased in the province for the Christmas holidays. Next, we look at the rising cost of food in both grocery stores and restaurants. We get the latest projections on the increases that we can expect to see in 2022 from Janet Music of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Then we head stateside for an update on the stories making headlines south of the border. This week, the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Games, which the U.S is part of and the rising number of COVID-19 cases in the country. We get the latest details from Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. And finally, the 108th edition of the Grey Cup takes place this Sunday in Hamilton. We get a game preview and a look at the Grey Cup festivities that are taking place ahead of the big game with the voice of the Calgary Stampeders, Mark Steven. Well, this week, Mayor Jyoti Gondek was in Houston, Texas for the World Petroleum Congress. Looking at the future of the industry, Mayor Gondek is back this morning, and she joins us on Mornings with Sue and Andy. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Back at you. You were in Texas this week. I'm wondering, uh, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from this edition of the World Petroleum Congress? I would say the biggest takeaway was the focus on collaboration. All of the major energy producers had uh, a very similar message, and they all said, Competitiveness between um, companies in the industry is always important, but at this particular period in time, it's incredibly important that we come together and collaborate on solutions that will make us more sustainable, and the path to net zero is one where we have to work together. So it was very consistent that collaboration is key. What was the message that you took from Calgary to this industry as a whole, really? Well, it was a great opportunity at the end of the Congress to do, uh, well, let's call it a, a baton handoff from <laughs> the host city being Houston. Mayor Sylvester Turner um, handed it over to me. He spoke about how there are commitments in the energy sector and from the city of Houston towards transition. And I was able to echo a similar message and talk about how Calgary has always been a leader and we continue to be a center of excellence. It's talking about transformation message was very well received and there's a lot of interest in coming here in 2023 good we have a text here mayor from rob and i'll I'll just read it to you and you can respond rob says it will be interesting to hear ms gondek's experience at the conference after declaring a climate emergency what are your thoughts on that well i appreciate the question rob uh it was overwhelmingly well received Every company and every jurisdiction that was there understands that climate is an important issue. There was no debate about whether climate change is real. There was no polarized tropes about climate versus energy. The message was we must do better. We are on a path towards doing better and the energy sector has to lead. That's great news because if we can't come together, we can't move forward. So that's that's very positive. I know that you spoke with the folks in Houston about uh, other issues as well. One of those was their approach to housing insecurity. What is it that they do different down there? You know what? I don't think anybody's got it figured out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you that the mayor said once you start focusing on these things and you have wraparound supports available for people who are unhoused, That's really the key to make sure that once you find housing for people that they're able to stay housed. And I'll give you a great local example. Last night I was at a dinner for High Bank Society, which provides housing and wraparound supports for pregnant girls. 
helps them finish high school and make sure they get on a track to success. And they do it because it's not just a roof over their heads. It is all the other care and support that's needed. So we can do it. We have to build on models like that. Is part of the issue, Mayor Gondek, that, you know, we can look at the different cities, the successes they've had, the systems they have set up, but it's such an individual thing and, and every city is different? Every city is different to some degree. I mean, they're laid out differently. The cost of living is different. But ultimately, the cities that have been successful have viewed housing as being just part of the puzzle and that you have to have, um, you know, uh, financial literacy supports in place. You have to make sure people have equal access to things like transit, that people are actually able to participate in the labor, labor force to get out of situations of poverty. It's just a lot of care that goes along with housing that we need to put in place. Mayor, can we talk a little bit about the uh, clean energy improvement tax by law? Is this a, a good plan? Do you think, do you feel like this might be something that could really benefit Calgarians as a whole? Yes, yeah, so it's a clean energy improvement program. And the program allows people to leverage their um, property tax bill to make improvements. So any improvements that you want to make to your home, whether it's solar panels or, you know, other energy efficiency methods that you want to put in place, Um, we are providing the borrowing that's needed and you can pay it back through your annual property taxes. So it's not a tax that will be levied on Calgarians. It is simply a way to loan money to Calgarians who wish to make improvements and they pay it back on their property tax bill. Mayor Gondek, we're wondering if you can uh, stick with us for two more minutes after we take a quick break. Are you available? I can indeed. A little bit more time with Mayor Jyoti Gondek on a Friday morning. Thanks for sticking around with us, Mayor Gondek. Absolutely. I got a a question for you, and this is something that is more of a provincial scope, but I'm sure you'll have an opinion. And obviously we have, you know, some opinions being the largest city in the province. Of course, the premier and company had their COVID committee meeting yesterday. We're told that we'll get some answers Tuesday, as early as Tuesday of next week, as far as the potential for easing restrictions ahead of the holidays. What are your thoughts on it when you see the latest COVID numbers? Should we be loosening up restrictions ahead of Christmas? Oh, you know what? If we go down this path again, I am worried. We're in a good place right now. People understand what the restrictions are. People are willing to abide by them. We are able to go to restaurants. We are able to have gatherings. We are not in a lockdown. I would prefer not to be in a lockdown in future. So I'm worried about what kinds of things are being considered. Okay. Well, we have to let you go now. We want to ask you, though, uh, any big plans for the weekend? It's on. It's Friday. Are we missing out on anything that you're doing that we need to know? You have too many? I do not have too many plans this weekend. I have to attend a quick dinner for some engineers on Saturday. I'm going to a performance at Arts Commons tonight. But uh, not bad plans at all. So I think things are sort of slowing down a little bit as we head towards the Christmas break. But I know as the mayor, you do a million and one events (laughs) pretty much every day. So I'm glad you get a weekend to just kind of have a little fun. And thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. 2022 could see the biggest annual increase in food prices on record. That's according to the 2021 Canada Food Price Report. And here to help break down the deals, uh, the details rather, is Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, Janet. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, so I know it's, it's it's not one main reason behind this. So so what are the various reasons we're expecting to see food prices shoot up in the next year? 
Well, you're right. There are a number of reasons. And of course, you know, the one of the main ones is COVID-19. So the ongoing pandemic has really kind of disrupted uh, supply chain in terms of getting things shipped here from our global trading partners. And so we know that, you know, the bottlenecking at certain ports around the globe just hasn't cleared from from really being backed up almost since last year. Um, so that is one of the main reasons. But the other one, too, and I think people in Alberta are really familiar with, is uh, the growing, the weather affecting the growing season. And so, you know, last year there were droughts in, in Alberta and wildfires in B.C. And, of course, the current ongoing uh, flooding in B.C., all of those things work together to uh, increase prices at retail. Janet, you know, it looks like the estimate showing a family of four will pay close to $1,000 more for food next year. Biggest jump ever predicted. Does, do you think that will stand true? I mean, it's hard to look into the crystal ball, but with everything sort of the way it is now and moving forward, does it seem like that it actually may be what happens? Well, yes. I mean, you're right. It is difficult to predict. But, you know, every year we... we re- produce this report and we uh, we put in a section that kind of you know reveals how we did the previous year and so last year we predicted about uh, just over $900 and we were off about $100 so you know we've been talking about raising uh, rising food costs since September really um, you know especially in categories of meat meat being up so I think it's pretty safe to say in the short term that these numbers are, are accurate because we're already seeing this happening uh, across categories uh, in different provinces. Let's break this down because I know that you know we talk almost sweeping about the increase. And I understand we can't expect a bump due to so many different factors. So if inflation might get you if it's not in a certain sector. But is there one sector within the grocery store or one section, if you will, that will see the highest price hike? Well, I think, you know, in terms of the different sections, we should talk about restaurants, right? And so restaurants have really taken three large hits because of COVID. And so, you know, first uh, people were forced into isolation or lockdown. And so restaurants really, uh, their services were significantly impact, uh, impacted. So, you know, some were able to transition to takeout, but many were, were forced to close. And then, of course, as things reopen, restaurants are having a hard time attracting labor, right? And so, you know, uh, paying people a living wage is absolutely a positive thing, but those things are going to impact prices on the menu. And then lastly, I think uh, restaurants are being impacted, especially in the West, by by supply chain issues. And so we've seen reports already that many restaurants are having a hard time getting supplies because of the Port of Vancouver being impacted by the flooding and just different uh, shipping problems uh, across uh, North America. So restaurants, 6 to 8%, I think, is a, is a conservative estimate. Mm. Janet, you know, we've seen the price of meat, uh, beef particularly, go up over the past year as we move into 2022. What does this report show foods, which foods will see the highest uh, increase in, in what we're going to have to pay to get them? Well, it's interesting that you bring up meat. And, you know, we've been talking about meat costs for the last, you know, 
three or four months. And, you know, in October, especially around Thanksgiving, people were talking about turkey, but, you know, bacon was, was, you know, front of mind for a lot of consumers because in some places it was a dollar a slice. And so this is quite expensive. Um, but interestingly, we're predicting meat to kind of stay constant, right? So we think it's up around 5% and it should stay that way going into 2022. But, you know, like I said, Dairy uh, restaurants, of course, dairy, we predict, will be an increase. And we know that that's going to increase because the commission asked for an increase in October. So we'll see that. And bakery is the other category that will probably be impacted significantly just due to uh, the harvest of grain and the drought last summer. Mm. You know, I know this report focuses on the increases we can expect, but I'm wondering on the other side, um, do you folks look at ways that people can save money on their grocery bills or uh, things that could be advantageous for these families moving into 2022? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in terms of one of the positive opportunities that we have, you know, in in every province is food waste. And so, you know, in Canada, we waste a lot of food, too much food. And I think this is an opportunity to kind of get, you know, a triple win. And so, you know, we should have a better plan when we go into the grocery store, which will enable us to buy less. Uh, and, you know, and use more of that food that we do bring home, not let those fruits and vegetables kind of go bad and then into the eco bin. And I think this is good for our pocketbooks. It's good for the environment. Uh, there's a lot of GHGs that are associated with food waste. And and ultimately, I think, uh, you know, Canadians will save money. And of course, everything old is new again, right? So mm-hmm. people are priced, they're couponing and, and, you know, using flyers, online flyers and in-paper flyers to kind of comparison shop. This might take a little bit more time, but you can save money by doing this. It's something that we're all going to have to deal with as we move forward. It's not going away and the price increases just keep on happening. So thank you so much for breaking it down. Appreciate your time this morning, Janet. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Janet Music, Agri-Food Analytics Lab and Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. What are you seeing the most, Andy? You do most of the grocery shopping, don't you? Or do you, like you and Amanda, go for a shopping trip? Do you see something specifically that you've noticed a big hike? We do. My my money bag's wife uh, is not as <laughs> thrifty as I am. I'm always that's why she sends you. Yeah, that could be the case. I'm always looking for those best deals. I'm always looking for, uh, for example, the kids like those cheese slices. Um, you know, as your kid, you, you, you grilled cheese sandwiches and sure. stuff, just as a snack. And uh, Velveeta cheese slices, I would have never bought uh, two twenty-four packs, but it was two for one. And my thought, like, just doubling up my money there. Mm-hmm. Meat is obviously the biggest. Like beef, if I want a couple of steaks, I I can't spend $39 for a couple of steaks. Hard to justify it, isn't it? Yeah. So you look at those, I've uh, trying to push and it depends on your family. People are picky, right? The kids. Uh, Pork though. I got four, you know, half decent sizes, uh, size pieces of pork. I think it was for $16. I mean, there are alternatives. Yep, there are. And when you find something good, most of it is freezeable. Cheese. Yeah, good point. Cheese you can freeze. I did not know Cheese that. Cheese freezes quite well, actually. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of freezing bread, but we make bread at home, too. So maybe that kind of offsets things. But be prepared. Uh, you know, the, the price of food, it's definitely gro- going up as we move into the new year. Finding ways to work around it. Coupon clipping. Yeah, Could that, it be back? 
could be the case. Well, well let's, uh, let's talk about this. Let's take a quick break and talk about this further. Got a couple of good texts as okay. well uh, within this uh, topic. Your thoughts as well, 403-974-8255. Where have you seen the biggest impact so far? We're looking ahead to 2022, uh, but let us know on that text line for sure. Every week, we head stateside to get the latest news from Global News, Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco, and he joins us now. Good morning to you, Jackson. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Okay, so earlier this week, Canada joining the diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics, joining forces with President Biden and the United States, along with some other countries. Is that getting much play in the U.S.? Any concerns about it down there? You know, it is in the sense that I think people are aware of the fact that, uh, you know, the, the five sort of Western allies here are really standing up to China. But of course, we know it's largely symbolic. We don't actually know how much of a diplomatic presence there would have been in the first place, for example. And it doesn't change the fact that athletes from Canada and the United States and other countries are going to be participating in the games. And really, I think it kind of signals the, the fine line here that these countries, uh, Canada, the United States, United Kingdom are all walking here, which is they're trying to send a message to China, but they're not exactly taking their teams and going home, right? They're only going so mm-hmm. far in standing up to China and sending a message there. And it's all about the games, Jackson. And in fact, we talked about what this means when you you have this kind of a boycott. Diplomats will show up. I picture them in the audience, maybe going to cocktail parties. But the real deal is the game. So will we see any impact whatsoever? Doesn't seem like it at this point. And of course, uh, I think there was already an expectation that, uh, you know, much like the delayed summer Olympics, these winter Olympics are going to be in many ways scaled back, right? Because of the fears of COVID. So uh, really, it's just sort of a, a small change, perhaps, in the ultimate dynamic for the games. Lots of other topics we want to get to with you, Jackson. Uh, this week, President Biden spoke with Russian President Vladimir Putin about the buildup of Russian troops near the Ukraine border. Some harsh words were said. What's the latest in that relationship? Yeah, as it stands right now, the U.S. hasn't necessarily ruled out military support for Ukraine or other uh, neighboring nations like Poland, for example, if Russia were to invade. Uh, But really what we saw during this summit was some frank talk, I think, between Biden and Putin, suggesting that perhaps they will hash this out diplomatically. And I know from some of the experts I've been speaking to, they seem to think that despite all the bluster coming from Moscow, an actual invasion is perhaps less likely than it might seem. And really what Russia may be trying to do here is signal to the West and to NATO specifically that having Ukraine a member of NATO, which is something Ukraine wants, is too much of a hassle and would risk drawing NATO into an all-out war with Russia. So really what they're trying to do is make the idea of closer ties between Ukraine and the West unappealing for the West uh, and sort of perhaps leave things in more of a status quo place because it's not that Russia doesn't want uh, Ukraine necessarily for itself, it's just that it doesn't want Ukraine joining NATO and mm. being closer with the West. Let's switch gears and talk about something called the Summit for Democracy. Haven't heard much about this underway, I believe, uh, as we speak. What is it and and how extensive will this uh, summit be? Mm -hmm. Yesterday and today, uh, this is something launched by the Biden administration, involves more than 100 nations, including Canada. And really what it is, is about countering the rise of autocracy and a loss of freedoms in countries right around the world. Of course, notably, Russia and China are not participating in this summit. And many would question if the U.S. has a leg to stand on here when it comes to selling democracy around the world, given the fact that American democracy feels like it's hanging on by a thread at this point in time, uh, you know, given the dispute over uh, the, the last 
last election, the 2020 election, and the fact that uh, you had one candidate who refused to accept the outcome of it. So uh, really, it's sort of a symbolic gesture, but it does sort of signal that I think Biden is treating the decline of democracy with the seriousness that many people would like to see him take it. Jackson, we've been talking about inflation here in Canada, and it's certainly we're not the only country uh, experiencing it. Inflation hitting the highest rate in a generation last month in the U.S. Uh, A little bit about that. Supply chain woes seem to be an issue in the States, too, obviously. Yeah, 6.8% inflation. That's the highest in almost 40 years. That is remarkable. And really, you do see it, as you do in Canada, on the grocery store shelves and at the gas pumps, right? Uh, Prices Mm -hmm. for everything have gone through the roof. This is one of those issues that is actually really hurting President Biden when it comes to his popularity, because it's something people feel and see every single day. And of course, it's a confluence of factors. It's the supply chain shortages, but it's also the economy running in overdrive right now as people try to make up for lost time during the pandemic during 2020 when there wasn't much spending uh, whatsoever. And in fact, uh, we saw prices decline. When it comes to uh, COVID-19, Jackson, it seems like, you know, outside looking in that it's business as usual in the U.S. And I just read, uh, you know, from an article in the New York Times that the National Guard has been helped to help staff hospitals uh, up to four states, maybe five states as the virus surge is stretching the limits of the resources. Still not out of the woods quite yet. No, not even close to out of the woods. Uh, And in fact, one of those states where the National Guard has been activated is New York, which, of course, was famously hit hard at the very start of the pandemic. You know, day over day, cases are up about 30 percent over the past two weeks in the United States. So we're seeing seeing daily case totals of around 150,000 per day, still around 1,200 deaths every single day. And those numbers are ticking back up again. And this is not the Omicron variant that's doing it. This is the Delta variant, which is still spreading rapidly in those populations that are either unvaccinated or who got their their shots very early on and haven't yet received their booster shots and are seeing waning immunity. So uh, add to that now fears of Omicron coming in and supplanting the Delta variant. And there's real concern that we could be in store for a pretty ugly winter once again here in the United States. Now, that doesn't mean that anyone's rushing to bring back, you know, restrictions or lockdowns or anything like that. But I think it is quite possible that you will simply see people stop doing things, staying at home, stop going into the office as their own protective measure uh, if these virus levels stay as high as they are right now. Jackson, is it the case, and I was kind of shocked when you said that, you know, some of these people had their first shot and just didn't go back for the second. Is is that the greatest issue or is it an issue that just so many people still have not had even one shot? You know, I think it's a mix of both. Definitely the overall lagging vaccination rate is a problem in this country. It is nowhere near where it needs to be. But now you are seeing a greater emphasis on booster shots for those who who got dose one and two, because uh, remember, they, they rolled out so early and so close together here. Uh, people were getting their shots, you know, in February and March, they were fully vaccinated. And we know that six month point is kind of the critical point for boosters. And so uh, there's sort of dual messaging coming from the CDC. Get your first shot if you don't have it. Get a booster if you've already been vaccinated. Uh, Jackson, will end on a sort of uh, entertainment tonight kind of note, but uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, a serious trial, obviously, but it's got a whole lot of people watching just for the entertainment value and the names that keep popping up. What's the latest in that? Yeah, in fact, uh, we're expecting the prosecution could rest their case as early today, turning things over to the defense. There's sort of an open question hanging over this trial as to whether or not Maxwell herself will be called to testify in her own defense. Remember, the allegation here is essentially that she was working as a partner in crime, a recruiter for Jeffrey Epstein, which is certainly what some of the alleged victims of Jeffrey Epstein have testified to over the course of the past few weeks. Elaine Maxwell's defense, of course, is that she was an unwitting partner, just a friend, and is essentially being made 
it out to be the fall guy or fall gal for Epstein's crimes. So watch this closely. Could be interesting over the next few weeks here. Uh, we're expecting the trial to take five to six weeks in total. Wow. Jackson, thanks for your time this morning. Have a great weekend. That is Jackson Prosco, a Washington bureau chief for Global News. And the 108th edition of the Grey Cup kicks off this weekend in Hamilton with the defending champs, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, taking on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And joining us this morning to get us all ready for the big game is the voice of the Calgary Stampeders, Mark Stephen. Hi, Mark. Hi, good morning. How's everyone today? Excellent. How are you? Are you right in party mode down there? How's it going? Well... Wasn't well, this morning, but uh, yes, uh, the Calgary Grey Cup committee was here, and that was a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time with them yesterday when they brought the horse in for the traditional ride through the lobby. So that was a very nice, and uh, yeah, they doing actually a very nice job here in Hamilton. They're very excited. Haven't had one here in 25 years, and it doesn't hurt, of course, that the hometown team is playing as well. You know, Mark, you haven't had uh, the uh, Grey Cup there to, to celebrate for 25 years in the Hamilton area, but I'm wondering also, we have not had a Grey Cup for two years. Is there a different feeling? And I know you've been to Grey Cups in the past. Does it feel like Grey Cups of old? Uh, probably not, uh, because it's been scaled back a bit. Some of the events and some of the things that normally go with the Grey Cup have been scaled back. Uh, just one obvious example is normally right now the Calgary Grey Cup Committee would be out with their Stampede Breakfast, a big event where they take over a square or a chunk of downtown or whatever city they're in. They can't do this this year or they just uh, don't feel it would be safe enough to do it. And some of the other events have been scaled back. It doesn't mean that it's uh, quiet and nothing's going on, but it does have a different feel to it, yes. It's just not the uh, event that uh, is normally put on, and that's just uh, like so many other things. They Mm -hmm. had to... uh, compromise and make alternate arrangements. I'm sure once game time goes, everybody's going to be pumped and really excited for it. So let's talk about the game itself. Uh, Chances? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Blue Bombers winning a back-to-back? Is it possible? Oh, yeah. I'd say they're the favorites as well going into this thing. But we should point out, you know, Hamilton is going to play at home. There's a lot of excitement here. It's palpable. And uh, they've told everybody to dress in black. So that'll be a little intimidating looking when they come out because by the time they kick it off, it will be nighttime here. So you'll see, uh, you know, darkness in the skies and darkness in the stands if everybody does follow that uh, edict and dress in black. When we had the schedule laid out and we looked at it as a Grey Cup on December 12th, and we knew it would be in Hamilton. There was a lot of trepidation. Ooh, what's that going to be like? So can you give put on your meteorologist hat, Mark, and tell us what we can expect weather-wise? Well, uh, tomorrow it's actually going to rain. It's going to be really nice here. Uh, Sunday it's going to cool down. It's going to be about 3 or 4 in the middle of the day. And then by kickoff it'll be closer to zero, maybe even a little bit below. So it'll be okay, all things considered, because I'm with you. You know, you looked at December the 12th, and the first thing I did was go to the, you know, Environment Canada weather site to figure out how they're going to pull this off. Mm-hmm. So it'll be fine. I don't think the weather will present any kind of an issue whatsoever. And that's, uh, that's a bonus, I would have to say. I'm with you on December the 12th there. Does it feel like the people of Hamilton are getting into the mood ahead of the game, Mark? Oh, yeah, very much so. You can see uh, the visibility on the streets. I've talked to some people uh, with their, you know, different Ticat memorabilia on. I mean, you know, this is a chance for Hamilton to really shine and uh, really show that their franchise has come back. I mean, the last time it was here was in 1996. That's a long time ago. And there was uh, some uncertainty about the future of the CFL. There was some talk that that might have been the last game that the league was going to be uh, consumed by some of its problems, but not the case. Now they've got the Grey Cup back, and uh, they're very excited to show off their stadium and show off their city. Uh, unfortunately, won't be seeing Bo Levi in action on the field, but Bo Levi will 
be in action this week. Tell tell us about this. Could could this be some foreshadowing to a post football career? Well, yes. I mean, uh, he says he wants to be involved in football for as long as he can be. And I mean, as a player or a coach, you never know. Though I, I think he'd be very good at it. Uh, but he's going to be part of a, a panel. They're going to have several panels uh, on TSN. But yeah, he's going to be part of the TV crew. So uh, yeah, you never know. Uh, uh, we'll see what happens in the future. But. His focus is playing right now, but yeah, I don't think it's the craziest thing to imagine him stepping into that panel uh, in 10 years' time. Mm-hmm. Henry Burris did. He's uh, doing yeah, quite, quite well at it, for yeah. sure. All right, well, yep. we will be listening, uh, obviously not uh, being lucky yep. enough like you to be there, but we'll be listening here on 770 CHQR. Pre-game at 3, kickoff at 4.30, correct? Yeah, that's the one. So uh, should be, I say, it should be a good game. I do favor the Blue Bombers, but don't discount the uh, excitement that the Hamilton crowd is going to bring as well. Sounds good. Have fun out there, Mark. Thanks for joining okay. us. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mark Stephen, voice of the Calgary Stampeders. Wonder if he had the chance to get on that horse as well. That was riding around the lobby. Probably. There's probably pictures somewhere. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in. In the mornings with Sue and Andy from 5.30 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.